Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, a strong and powerful Andy Nunnemaker. Andy, are you ready to do this? I'm ready. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Let's do this. Andy is a graduate of Harvard Business School, a former CEO of GE Healthcare for Australia, New Zealand, and Southeast Asia, as well as the founder of EM Systems, which he sold in 2010, and Dynamis Corp., which he sold in October of 2018. He's also a good friend of mine. Andy, I'm excited to have you on. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Yeah, no, thanks, George. Happy to be here with you. Um, you know, a little bit of background started the traditional path, uh, undergrad at Valparaiso University, engineering degree, MBA, um, worked for some of the biggest co- companies in the country, AT&T, uh, GE, and about 17 years ago, had an opportunity to kind of branch off and do my own thing. And it was one of those, you know, times in life where I thought, hey, if I don't do this now, I'm always going to regret it. I'm always going to look back. Kind of knew what my career path was like at GE. And you knew, you know, if you hang on, you're going to be in this role, in this role, in this role. It was fairly predictable. And I thought, you know, it, it's now or never. So made the leap and, um, you know, got lucky a couple of times. Things worked out well. And, you know, here we are uh, with, with two companies behind us. So uh, maybe a, a non-traditional path, but but one that seems to have worked out for me. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. You know, these days, I don't know if there's necessarily a traditional path or not, um, but it does certainly seem to have worked out. Do you... Just to, to kind of go really globally, it seems like right now this idea of being part of a startup or an entrepreneur is very, very sexy. Do you think that that was always the case? Do you think that that's misguided? You know, I think now we see um, we see so many stories about, uh, you know, what you call unicorns and these, these great Silicon Valley startups that go from zero to a billion dollar valuation in almost no time. And of course, everyone wants to be the next, you know, you name it, the next Facebook, the next Uber, the next Yelp, the next whatever. Um, and most companies, you know, most startups obviously fail. If you look at the stats, many get to a certain point and um, they hit their own critical mass and, and, and then they're actually better off as part of a larger organization um, rather than a standalone company. So I, I think there's a lot of paths to it, but now that we've kind of seen some successes and we've seen some, some huge mega successes, everyone's um, kind of jumping on this bandwagon. Um, but if you think about it, there's always been startups, right? GE was a startup. AT&T was a startup. Where I'm from in Milwaukee, Miller Beer, Pabst Beer, all of those were startups at one time. And, and so we've always seen startups. They're just, um, I think they're easier now in the, in the information age, in the digital age. It's anybody can code an app. Anyone who has an idea can, can learn how to code an app and put an app together. So I think the barriers of entry are, are a lot lower. You don't need, um, you know, millions of dollars of capital. You don't need to build a big factory like you had two decades ago. Uh, now anybody with, with an idea and a little teeny bit of coding experience can do it. And I think, you know, that's um, getting a lot of people excited about it. Nice. So you certainly had, you, you, you mentioned you took the traditional route. Um, and I would say that you certainly had the pedigree with an engineering background and obviously going to business school. Do you think that you were well prepared for entrepreneurship? 
you know, I, I think I was probably overprepared. So you know, the the trouble when you when you go to work for a, for big companies and you start your career path that way, uh, you kind of get locked into a comfort level, right? You're you're used to flying. You know, certainly if you're not flying business class, you might even be in the corporate jet. Um, you're used to you know traveling first class at staying in the best hotels you're used to you know your name it's, it's not your name it's your title in the company that fling all the doors open and it can be really really comfortable and it can be very hard to leave so you know for me the hardest thing was was leaving all of that where i'm like i'm andy with ge and all these doors would fly open you could meet with anybody you wanted to and then all of a sudden i'm andy with em systems and like who what and <laughs> like pulling teeth to try to get your foot in the door and you go from, you know, having hundreds of people and a billion dollars in, in P&L responsibility to nothing and four people. And, you know, you've got to change the, the, the copy machine. You've got to do everything, right? And I think that can, that can be hard for some people. And it, it certainly was an adjustment for me. Um, and going from, you know, a, a nice, comfortable salary and options and all that and the package that you get in the corporate world to a big unknown and a, a whole bunch of risk also was, was quite a bit of an adjustment. So I'm really fortunate that I, I got off when I did. Had I not, I, I don't know if I would have um, been able to leave everything behind to do the startups if I'd stayed on too much longer. Got it. So I, I don't know how many different variables, I, I guess I'll just ask you, are there really important variables to consider? I think that obviously having a vision and an idea for the company, being able to execute on that, but then dealing with the human resources and, and the finances of running your own company, was there one area that was easiest for you? Was there an area that was hardest? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. So I, I kind of looked at my my time with the big companies as a training ground. So um, at GE in particular, I practiced all sorts of, you know, management techniques. I practiced hyper delegation and micromanagement and everything in between. And um, that's where I, I learned how to interview. I learned how to, um, you know, identify talent and how to reward talent. And I did that all on, on their dime. And so, you know, the worst thing that could have happened there, if I made a major disaster, is maybe I'd get fired and that was it. And then I'd go get a job at some other big company. So to me, there was really no downside in experimenting as a leader. Um, so then when you're on your own, um, yeah, it's still a little bit of an experiment and you're still, you know, practicing different techniques, but then the stakes are, are much higher. So for me, the, the biggest difference was it's not how do, you, how do you identify talent, how do you motivate people, you know, those things you – know, you learn that and you learn that in, in any environment where you're practicing it. And in fact, I'd argue I started learning that back in the days of the fraternity and undergrad um, and learning how to deal with people and lead people, et cetera, and motivate and persuade and all the things that you do back then. Um, so the biggest difference for me was, was what I would call a risk tolerance. And um, for me personally, that's actually changed over time. I had quite a bit of risk tolerance when I you know left 17 years ago to do the first one. Um, and now I, I probably have less risk tolerance. I have more to lose than I did back then. Um, and, and for me, risk can be both financial risk and it could be reputational risk. And, and I value both of those aspects. And, and so I found that my, my tolerance is actually uh, much lower now than it was when I left GE to start the first company. I think that that certainly makes sense. Okay. So I guess I was trying to 
trying to figure out how to craft this question about how you keep an eye on all the different aspects of the business when it's just you or it's you and a small team. But I guess it goes back or goes down to gets down to do you have certain habits that you go through every day that help you to maximize the amount of hours that 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 are available? Yeah. I, I, I probably should have more than I do. Um, I, I tend to trust people more than than the average. Um, if you look at if you look at both companies, we were well over a dozen employees um, with both before we had to go outside and and hire an unknown entity. So you know what do I mean by that? Our first company, our our CTO um, was a, a friend of mine that I met you know two weeks before undergrad. Um, and have stayed friends with for, for decades. Uh, if you look at this company, our, our vice president of sales, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Tom Roshar, I've known for, for years since he was an undergrad. Um, and so when, when we put these teams together, there's already a very high degree of trust. It's not like you're going out to some job board and hiring someone after a half hour of an interview. I always say, you know, anybody can fool me in an hour or a half hour interview, but it's a lot harder to fool me after, you know, decades of of personal (laughs) interaction. And so for me, we were always taking very safe bets and putting these teams together. And that's where um, I think giving them the, um, giving them the bandwidth to go out and, and do their job without looking over people's shoulders was a lot easier because we, we knew what we were getting. There was a high degree of loyalty, certainly a high degree of competence, um, and a very high degree of trust. Got it. I appreciate that. So, okay. Are there certain areas that, that you would look at and say, okay, this is an area that if you're not really strong in, you should get help immediately on or... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm also a huge fan of um, bringing outside resources in and, and um, relying on the experts to do their, their jobs. I remember with our first company, you know, times were tight and we didn't have a lot of money. We weren't making money. And I thought, well, you know, we don't have to hire a, a finance manager or a CFO or a controller or whatever you want to call that role. I said, you know, I can do both. And, you know, one of our advisors, one of our board members at the time said, well, Andy, you're either um, incredibly arrogant or incredibly stupid because you can't do both. And, you know, the board forced us to go out and, and hire, a, a, you know, a, an excellent CFO uh, part-time to come in and do that work because, you know, I, I would not have done that justice and our company would not have been successful. I, I attempted to do both of those things. So I think when it comes to the expertise, you know, yeah, you're going to have to pay a little bit for uh, a good accounting firm to look over your numbers. You have to pay a little bit for a good law firm. Um, but that money is, is money well spent. So I've you know, never chinched on um, bringing in the right expertise, especially when it comes to, to finance and accounting, when it comes to, to legal um, when it comes to technology, we probably overpay because we want the best and the brightest on our team. Um, and you know, I certainly can't do those things. That's not my skill set. So we're, we're willing to pay for it. And, um, you know, those are, you know, I'd make those investments and those bets all day long. What, what do you consider to be your strong suits? Well, that's that's a really tough question because I, <laughs> I actually don't think I'm an expert in anything. I think I am have been at the right place at the right time. Um, was lucky enough to know the right people and bring those people on board, and um, was fortunate enough to have made some decisions that allowed that team to thrive and create an environment where we could all thrive together and, and things worked out. So, you know, I, I I think luck does play a role in a lot of this. 
Uh, we could just have easily had had that same team and, and done what we thought were all the right things. And, um, you know, the company might not have made it. And, and I know a lot of a lot of friends of mine with companies that didn't make it. And I don't think they were I'm certainly no more um, you know, smarter than they are, maybe just a little luckier than they are. Appreciate that. OK, there's a scene in a, one of those movies about Steve Jobs. And I don't know if it's true or not, but the character of Wozniak says, what do you do, Steve? And he says, I play the orchestra. So who knows? You're just identifying. Well, that's true. I think yeah, I think there's a good parallel there. Because you think about it, what 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 piece of music does the, the, the conductor make? What do you hear from the conductor? Ideally, you don't hear anything from the conductor. You hear from the members of the orchestra, right? And the conductor interprets and brings it all together, um, but doesn't make a sound on the stage. It's it's the members of the orchestra that, that create the beautiful sound. The conductor kind of holds it all together, um, and creates the strategy of, of where they all want to go together on that journey with the members of the orchestra and with the, the patrons in the hall. And so I, I, I actually see a lot of parallels between my role and, and the role of the, the conductor. So I think that's a, 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 very, um, a very adept um, analogy. So a lot of people that, that I've talked to, and it's probably a bit of an echo chamber, but more people are interested in getting um, outside investors than getting a bank loan. Do you have have thoughts on that? Yeah, I have. Um, look, I I've always been a, a huge fan of getting as far as you can on your own without having to to do either of those things. So, for example, you know, I, I look at a lot of business plans, screen a lot of deals, I'm part of a few investment networks um, and invest in a, a PE firm. And we're always looking at deals. And, you know, oftentimes someone, you know, the people that are, are coming to us are the inventor, right? They're the ones that came up with the idea for whatever it is, the product, the solution, the app, whatever. Um, and they say, well, I want a million dollars so I can build it. And then I want a million dollars so I can go market and sell it and blah, blah, blah. And, I, and a lot of these things, you, you can actually test the concept um, fairly quickly and fairly uh, cheaply. And so my advice to these these folks is always go out and build this on your own. You know, keep your day job or stay in school or wherever you are in life and do this on nights and weekends and prove the concept. So build the app, build the widget, build the prototype, whatever it is, um, and get as far as you can before you go out for outside resources because then you have a lot more leverage. So, you know, an idea to me is worth nothing. So, and you know, I hear hundreds of ideas a week and they're all worth about the same. They're worth nothing until you've proven out a lot of the assumptions that go behind the business model, you know, because they all want, no matter who they are, they think their idea is going to be the next Uber or whatever, or the next Tesla and it, that they're going to build an entire company around this one idea. And you hear that over and over again. So what I say to them is go out and build it, right? Whether it's a piece of software, whether it's a something tangible that you can touch and feel, go build it and get it in the hands of people. And usually that means selling it to your friends and your family or giving it away for free and get that feedback. And if you can on your own get to a point where, you know, this is where I say is, is there's real value creation, um, when you're selling to strangers at list price, um, and I learned this from one of my mentors, Tim Keen, selling to strangers at list price, now now you're really onto something because then that's scalable. 
because all you have to do then is hire a sales force and you sell to more strangers at list price. And now it's just a matter of scaling and executing. But until you get to that point, there's a lot of assumptions that are, are unknown variables and they're extremely risky for investors, which means if you take investment too early, you're going to give away too much. You give you take investors after you've sold the strangers at list price. Now it's a much safer bet for them and you're going to give up a lot less of the company when you take those investors on. Now, uh, bank loan versus equity, you know, that's a personal preference. A lot of people look for investors, not just for their money, but because of, you know, their connections and their experiences. They kind of call that in the old days, we called it smart money. Um, you wanted active investors who can open doors for you, um, who can help complement your skill sets if you're lacking in a few areas of expertise. Um, I, I'm always a fan of, of that smart money model, and that's what I've used in, in our last two companies. Um, we had very active investors, very active board members um, who were part of a, a, a syndicate of investors. And in our case, both uh, were part of the Golden Angel Network in, in Milwaukee. Um, that was a great deal for everybody. We, we, we got money, but we also got expertise that we used at every stage of our business, including the exit process. Nice. Good stuff. Well, Andy, you've already given us a lot of information, but Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Difference-making tip. I think if we're sticking to the um, entrepreneurial startup theme, uh, my tip would be for everybody who's interested to create their own path. Don't follow somebody else's path. Don't follow Steve Jobs' path. Don't follow my path. Create your own path. I so often I'll be mentoring people and they're like, okay, then what did you do next? And what do you do next? And what I, what should I do next? And there is, there is no right path and there is no, you know, one secret formula for success. So for me, you know, follow your path and make sure that whatever you're doing is something you're passionate about and something you're excited about because these are some long hours. These are some long weeks, some long months and years. And if you're not excited about what you're doing, it's going to be really hard to drag yourself in day in and day out, especially when um, in the early years, times are going to be tight and money's going to be scarce. Um, and you feel like the whole world is kind of lined up against you. If you're not passionate and excited about what you're doing, it's going to be a really, really frustrating. Well, that is great stuff. That definitely gets a come on, come on. Andy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Andy your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. If you're interested in connecting with Andy, you can find him on the internet by using your Google machine. <laughs> thank you again, Andy. All right, thanks, George. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!